I've always had a sneaking suspicion that if we could truly understand the love of God that a lot of things would clear up for us in this Christian life. Um, Paul seems to be able to agree with that. Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. He prays for this church, and then by the way of his word, he prays for all of us. In Ephesians three sixteen. he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being so that Christ may dwell on your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Paul's prayer for me, Paul's prayer for you, Paul's prayer for all the saints, Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church that he wrote this letter to is that we may have the power together with all the saints to grasp, to understand, to fathom, to somehow get a hold of, to somehow sink our teeth into, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. <laughs> now, why should we know that, Paul? Is it just so I can have some intelligence or so, so I can have some knowledge? No. And to know this love, there surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure with all the fullness of God. Somehow a knowledge of his great deep love for us is part of the measure that fills us with all of the fullness of God. And that's a little bit of what I tried to be able to get across to you last week when we talk about that Christmas revealed God as Father. And that while he is, yes, a king, and he's, yes, a judge, and he's, yes, a, a creator, if you don't see him as father, and even Abba Father, as revealed in the New Testament, you will miss his very heart. Over 200 times in the New Testament, he's revealed as father. And if I can't see him as father, if I can't see him as Abba, and that word is actually Papa, that word is the most tender Hebrew word for father, then I'll miss who he really is in his very essence. And as we said last week, when Jesus said, hey, teach, teach us, when the disciples said, hey, teach us how to pray, Jesus, he said, our king in heaven. No. Our great creator in the sky. No. Oh, great judge of all the world. No. He taught his disciples, you need to have this kind of relationship with him. Our Father. Our Father. This is our God, friends. This is our God. And some people's God is, is just a God that's up there and just, can't you all just do it a little bit better down there? And some people's God is just like a, a big old ogre who's just waiting to, 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 to knock you out of heaven with a baseball bat when you step off a little ways. That doesn't reveal the true heart of who he is in Scripture. So I thought this morning I'd just spend a few minutes with you just going through the very first part of the Christmas story in the book of Matthew and seeing what just a few verses in the book of Matthew teach us about our God. And what, what the book of Matthew, just through the very start of the Christmas story, screams to us, this is your God. This is who he is. This is who I am, as we believe that God has inspired this word. If you have your Bible with you, would you open it to Matthew chapter 1? 
Matthew chapter 1 and the story that we've heard so much starts in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about and goes so forth and so on. But you know the Christmas story really starts in Matthew 1.1. You know, we, we have about 16 or 17 of the most boring verses that are in all of Scripture. When, the, when we were all King James people, that we just call them, it was all the begats. Somebody begats somebody else, and somebody begats somebody else. It's the part we always skip over, right? Just admit it. You can do it. We skip over. <laughs> but in being able to qualify Matthew, being able to qualify Jesus as indeed the son of God and the son of David, and he was qualified to be the Messiah, he's first got to start with his genealogy. This man had to be a son of David. He could not qualify to be the Messiah himself unless he was a son of David. So he goes through the genealogy. And some very interesting things you see in this genealogy that you don't see in any other genealogy. And I don't have, I think it would take a month of sermons to be able to unpack all this. But it's, it starts as most genealogies do. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah. And you're already getting blessed, aren't you? Just want to shout amen, don't you? And it continues on down in the same vein. Judah's the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother? How did a woman get in there? Women don't get in genealogies. Go back and look at the rest of them. Whose mother was Tamar? Perez, the father of somebody else I can't pronounce, and somebody else I can't pronounce, the father of Ram, and so forth and so on. And then verse 5, Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother? That is, friends, let me tell you. To, to, to first century people, this would have blown their mind. That women had no status whatsoever, and for them to be in the genealogy of the Messiah would have blown their mind. We can't grasp it. We can't grasp it in our society today. Boaz, verse 5, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, three women? Verse 6, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, which is an interesting way of saying that. Could have just said this Bathsheba. It says Uriah's wife. That's fascinating. And then verse 16, and Jacob's the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Fascinating there. Doesn't say that Joseph was the father of Jesus. He was just the husband of Mary. Just the husband of Mary. Um, those three women, uh, Tamar is in Genesis chapter 37. If you want to read a soap opera that is as nasty as any soap opera on at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, read about Tamar's life. Why? Life. Had sexual relations with her father-in-law. It's sordid. It's embarrassing. You wonder how in that world, how does that get in the Bible? Tamar? How does that get in the genealogy? How does she get in the genealogy of Jesus Christ? Rahab, she was a liar. She was a prostitute. Makes it into the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. She was a prostitute. Ruth, she was a Moabite. You read in the Old Testament, God's people will have nothing to do with the Moabite people. Nothing to do with them at all. 
Bathsheba makes it in here, the one who committed adultery? She makes it in the genealogy of Jesus Christ? Friends, what does this teach us about our God? What does this say about our God? Well, that, this, this says to me that our God is amazingly realistic. He's amazingly current. He's amazingly uh, just right down where we live. And there's no way that my family tree, there's no way that anybody that I hang around with, there's no way that anybody in your family tree or your life could be so soared, could be so messed up that it's not worth redemption. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how sordid your affairs. I don't care how many times that you've done this or done that. I don't care how many times your son has done that, your daughter has done that. I don't care how many times they have uh, let you down. I don't care how many times they've been the black sheep of the family. I don't care how many times they have ruined the family tree. Jesus came for them. He came for them. This is our God, friends. This is our God. I don't care how many times you invited them to church and they said they were going to come and they haven't come yet. I don't care how many times they lied to you. I don't care how many times they stole money from you. I don't care how many times your children have done things that you just cannot believe. I don't care how many times things have gone wrong in your life. Let me tell you, friends, no matter how messy, no matter how sordid, no matter how embarrassing, no matter how much you want to cover up, no matter how bad it may be, no matter how many times you said, I didn't raise her this way or I didn't raise him this way, let me tell you, friends, Jesus deals with messed up people. He came for messed up people. He came with people that are drifting. He came for people that aren't doing things right. He didn't come for the righteous. Righteous don't need redemption. He came for the Tamars. He came for the Rahabs. He came for the Bathshebas. He came for the Rus. He came for the people that are ostracized, the people that are outcasts, the people that nobody thinks they would ever be good enough. This is our God, friends. This is our God. Come for good people. In fact, if, you, if, if, if you're really good, you can't get to him. Only after you admit your, if you let me invent a word, your ungoodness. <laughs> He's screaming to us in something as boring as the genealogies that all people, no matter how messed up, no matter how much you've given up on them, no matter how angry you are with them, God loves them, and he sent his son to be able to die for them. Don't give up on them. Don't give up on them. They're worth the blood of Jesus. Don't give up on them. And I don't know what's going on in your life. I've had people tell, well, there's no way God could forgive that, thinking about something in their life. Let me tell you, came for the worst. He came for the messed up. He came for the black sheep. And he's not afraid to claim him as his own. He's not afraid, afraid to claim him, them as his own. This is our God, friends.
this is our God. Not some aloof God who's just spun this world into existence and wonders how it will end up. This is our God who's involved and active and seeking and saving the lost and reaching out into the muck and the mire and the dirty and the messy and the, ooh. That's our God, friends. Verse 18 of Matthew 1. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was to be pledged to be married to Joseph. And all accounts, and every single Bible scholar will agree on this, even though it's, it's some, some speculation because it's really not written here for us. But you'll find no one that will disagree with this. Mary and Joseph were two very ordinary people that God chose to do in a very extraordinary thing. All the way through Scripture, he doesn't come for the kings and ask the kings to be able to come and do this. He doesn't come for the people that seem to be really talented. He came for old, he just recruited fishermen. Just old, basically pretty uneducated fishermen. And when he needed a mom, and when he needed an earthly dad for his boy, he just gets some ordinary, ordinary folk as just a carpenter and a little teenage girl that were engaged to be married. Friends, our God our God uses very ordinary people. You're looking at one of the most ordinary ones right here. And some of you think, well, there's no way that's true because I can get up and do this every Sunday. No. We all do things differently and have gifts and talents in different areas. Let me tell you, friends, I love all of you, but we're a bunch of ordinary people. We're just average Joe and James. But that does not in any way keep God from using us. That does not in any way keep God from using the Josephs and the Marys that are in this room right now. Oh, I never could. Oh, I've I never been to Bible. I'm, oh, I never. I, I just, oh, no, maybe him. Not, oh, no, not me. He, he uses very ordinary people. Some preacher before I says he qualifies the unqualified. He makes worthy the unworthy. Friends, there's not a single person here that can't step up to the plate in ministry in some way. I look at some of you and so many things that you've done throughout your life in ministry and I look at some of the rest of you and I know God can be able to use you as ordinary as you are. Will you let me say that? And I can only say that because I'm on Mark Atherton Born at 425 Wood Street in Maysville, Kentucky. I'm as ordinary as they come. But God can take someone that will lay their ordinariness in front of him and he can use them. I'm calling you out, Robbie. He can use you, man. He can use you. And you know that he can. You got a lot to give him. You got a lot to give him. You got gifts, you got talents. He wants to use you. And there's other people I can call out in here as well. He took two very ordinary people. This is our God. He doesn't take the charismatic ones amongst us. He doesn't take the ones that, that seem that they can do the most. Why? Because he won't get any glory from that. 
the glory will have to go to him. So if, if he chooses me and I'm, I'm such a great speaker and I can do all this kind of stuff, you, you have no clue where I was when he found me. In the ordinariness of ordinary. But I simply said, man, if you can do something through me, I'm ready. And how many of you in the exact same boat? Maybe it's with children. Maybe it's with teens. Maybe it's putting a smile on and shaking people's hands out here and being a greeter. Or, or, wow. I can use you. I can use you. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he, he, he says that because you are a new creation, you are now an ambassador Christ, as though God were making his appeal through you. That's what it says. As though God were making his appeal through you. This is our God, friends. This is our God. Interesting that when he started getting disciples, he didn't go to Pontius Pilate. <laughs> went to old ordinary people. Verse 20. But after he's considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Interesting. Appeared to him in a dream. Also, Chapter 2, verse 13, appeared to Joseph in a dream. Also, chapter 2, verse 19, after Herod died, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph three times. And in verse 22, Joseph, after being warned in a dream four times in the Christmas story, God is behind the scenes orchestrating is behind the scenes putting things together. Is behind the scenes protecting. Is behind the scenes son, saying, go there, don't go here. Is behind the scenes making sure that his will will be done. Friends, let me tell you, our God is a God who's working right now. Our God is a God who's, who's, who's got his tool bell out and he's working and he's orchestrating. And no matter how... You may look around this world and see this and don't see God there and say, wow, could God be there? Let me tell you, he's working. He's working behind the scenes. He's working over here and he's working over there and he's working over here. He's working in your life right now. God has got his tool belt out. God is behind the scenes. He's orchestrating. He's in control. And it's such a sign of how much in control that he is that he gives us free will, and he'll still work his will through our free will. Now, you explain that to me. He'll still work his will through our free will. I want to tell you, friends, that you have a God working in your life right now. Oh, I don't feel it, Mark. I don't care. doesn't make any difference. Well, I don't see it, Mark. doesn't make any difference. God works all things together for good. Oh, Mark, I'm in, I'm, I'm in a pickle right now. God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Oh, God, how could this be going on in my life right now? How can this happen and this happen and this happen? He's working. 
I can't explain. I'm not going to try to explain it all. I'm not going to insult your intelligence by trying to be able to explain it all. But can I tell you, in your life right now, God's working. He's working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Think of all the people that God has put in your life. Think of all the sermons that God has allowed you to hear. Think of all the Christian men and women that God has allowed you to meet. Think of all the circumstances that God has put you in, good ones and bad ones. God was working through all of that. Chuck Swindoll says the most used phrase in all of heaven will be, oh, so that's why that happened. Oh, behind the scenes of all the Christmas story, it was a dream here, and it was a dream here, and it was guiding here, and guiding. Now, don't go off and think of every little silly dream you have is from God. Okay, I have some, I have some silly dreams, absolutely silly ones. And don't be this mystical person to try to attribute God to every single dream that you have. He's spoken to us through his word. What more can he say than to you he has said? But I want you to know, and I want to encourage you to know, that no matter your situation in life, God's working. In your life, in the life of the people around you, he's working. And he's willing to do whatever he can do to be able to bring you to himself, even sending his son to this earth in the form of a babe. Now, how far will he go to get what he wants? And what he wants is you. Lock, stock, and barrel. This is our God, friend. We'll deal with the messiness of our lives, the black sheep of our family. And let's just admit it, the black sheepiness that's in me. Let's just don't call it somebody else. It's the black sheepiness that's in me. Deals with ordinary people, friends. This is our God. And right now, he's working. He's working. Oh, how could God be working the school closed and, oh, he's working. He's working. Oh, how could God be working? I don't want to take that church. I don't want to go there. He's working. He's working. He's working. Sometimes I think when we least expect it. Because it seems to be, especially in the Christmas story, the God of the unexpected, a virgin, will be with child. This is our God. And very few things in life are as important as your understanding of who he is. Because many things in your life can be attributed to your view of God, to your understanding of who he is. So it's critical that you have a biblical view and not some folk theology that's been dreamed up from books and TV shows. At least from a few verses of Scripture, friend, I've tried to tell you this morning from the Christmas account, this is our God.
worship him, serve him. Can we stand together, please? Now, Father, as we close this morning, <clears throat> we want to talk to you. First of all, we want to talk to you about, just for lack of a better term, the outcast in our families. The ones who seem to be pretty far gone. And we learned this morning that you're not afraid to claim them as your own. So right now in this quietness of this moment, would you kind of pray for those black sheep of your family? Or maybe you just need to pray for that black sheepiness that's in you right now. Maybe you want to talk to him or even thank him for your ordinariness because if it wasn't for your ordinariness, there's no way he could use you. Maybe you want to talk to him about allowing him to use your ordinariness, use you and all of your, all of your warts and all of your faults and all of the stuff that makes you you. And just as he used uh, two little teenagers, he can use us. Maybe you need to talk to him about something maybe he's been talking to you about. Ministry you can be involved in. A place you can step up. So you're not just sitting in the pews. right now there's a situation in your life that you don't really see him working, you don't really sense him working, but by faith you believe that his things are under control and he's got his tool belt out and he's working. So you may have a situation right now, personally, in your family, whatever, and you just need to ask him, keep working, keep working. I'll be patient. Keep working. Father, you've heard our prayers. Help us understand who you are, your heart. May we understand you biblically. Not any made-up stories, any folk theology, or any stories that just got handed down from somebody. We need to know who you are biblically. Thank you for this time that we've spent together. Dismiss us now. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. And amen. Thank you so much. You are dismissed.